just a note uh, for the start of this pod, unfortunately, my connection's not been great. So I apologize for any sound issues that you experienced during the pod, but hopefully you can enjoy listening to Tomo and Laura. What did you say? Pyramid podcast where three lads discuss all things the English football pyramid. On today's episode, we'll review the midweek Premier League action with Villa's massive win over Man City and Arsenal leaving it late to beat Luton 4 3. We'll then look ahead to the weekend fixtures where Aston Villa host Arsenal and Tottenham host Newcastle. We'll preview the key games from EFL, including Pyramid Pod Cup holder Southampton, who have a tricky looking fixture at Watford. And we'll finish up with the Pyramid Pod treble and Laura, who will talk us through Yeovil's midweek win at Bath on Wednesday and their away trip to Dartford this weekend. I'm your host, Alex Murphy. And once again, I'm joined by Tom Gallagher and Tom Lawrence. Boys, we'll start at Villa Park and Tomo. We uh, discussed on the previous pods about some tricky looking fixtures for Villa, but if they could get some points against Man City and Arsenal, uh, potentially being spoken about in the title race, they've gone and got three points against Man City and looked quite convincing in it. Uh, Question to you is, are they now genuine title contenders? Uh, Yeah. I hesitate to say that just yet. I think maybe if they go and beat Arsenal, then then they're serious title contenders. But that that win against Man City, not only was the fact that they beat Man City impressive, it was the performance. It was a complete dominant display. Me and Laurie were just talking before we come on the podcast about when City usually drop points, um, whether it be a draw or a defeat, is usually off the back of them being the better team in the game. Um, so it's it was the biggest surprise I thought from the um the game on Wednesday was the fact that Aston Villa completely dominated Man City, the treble winners. City had two shots all game and it came in the same move when Haaland um when Haaland had a, a two chances in a space of about five seconds and Martinez saved both. Other than that, Villa completely dominated and and yeah, so look, Unai Emery's doing a fantastic job. 14th win in a row at Villa Park now. Their long, their longest winning run um, in the Premier League ever. And they welcome Arsenal to Villa Park on, I think it's Saturday night, isn't it? Saturday at 5.30. So if they can go and win them, they're definitely title challenges. But at the minute, they're top four contenders. And for me, the teams like Villa, basically, it all depends on their sort of injuries, whether or not they can cope with that. Like if Ollie Watkins, for instance, gets a big injury, who comes in for him? That's the kind of thing I kind of question on ter- in terms of their title credentials. But yeah, impressive, really impressive win. And just a quick shout out to two of the best players in the Premier League this season who have gone underrated, who are both um, doing a really good job at Villa, is that Bubakar um, Kamara in centre mid and Douglas Louise, both been absolutely excellent and they were both excellent again on Wednesday Laurie just bring you in quickly as well Tomo kind of saying at the minute still top four uh, are you a bit more bullish about Villa's chances well they're definitely in the title race because they're above City aren't they and they're the best team in the world certainly in Europe at home but you can't do any better than what they're doing they've won every single game it's just the away form 
Um, and the away form can't be that bad because they're third and above City, so they can't be dropping too many points. But, I mean, I've said it a couple of times, they lost to Forest and they drew to Bournemouth. Um, you know, the standards are high if you want to be in the title race and you just feel like they've got it in them to drop silly points away from home. Um, do you know what I mean? It's not like going to Liverpool and dropping points. If you go into places like Forest and Bournemouth, that will hurt you in terms of a title race, which I can't believe we've been talking about for Aston Villa. But we have to because they've got a very good team. They've got a brilliant manager who's put a great run of results together. And now they've sort of stamped the card of beating the best team in the country convincingly on um, Tuesday or Wednesday night. So, which we kind of have predicted, which is unbelievable as well, which is probably goes to show how good Villa are and um, kind of the concern about Man City at the moment. Yeah. Do you, do you know what this is as well? It's a lesson to never, ever doubt Sir Alex Ferguson. Uh, do you remember yeah. after the first game of the season when they got turned over? I think it was by Newcastle, won it quite convincingly. He came out and said how impressed he was with Villa and everyone thought, right, put down the whiskey, Sir Alex. But <laughs> and it right, been right so far. Just a quick so, one, yeah. Murph. So, Just a quick one before we move on. I actually think one of the most impressive things that Unai Emery has done lately, um, if you look at Moussa Diaby and Matty Cash, two of their most impressive players this season, but they've kind of dropped off a little bit of form lately. And you would say they're two of their biggest and best players, yet um, he's dropped them the last couple of weeks. I don't know whether that's fitness or whether that's form, but they don't seem to have um, lowered their standards, if you will, um, even though they've... They, those two players have been on the bench. So they their replacements, like Tielemans um, or whoever, Azaniolo, who's come in, I'm not sure who's playing right back. I think it's they've pushed um, Ezri Konza out, out yeah. at right back and brought in that Diego Carlos. But it seems like their standards and, and their performance as a team has not dropped, even though those players are sort of in and out of form. Um, so that's a really good sign for Unai Emery as well, and for Villa um, moving forward. And on the complete reverse of that, Manchester City can't cope without Rodri. And in the bigger picture, are really missing the likes of Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan, as we keep saying. And that game is the first time that I've seen Edison's credentials as a shot stopper. He had an unbelievable game. You only ever really think about him about, you know, with like playing out from the back and kind of being that sweeper keeper. But he made some brilliant saves. It could have been three or four on a different day. Like Tomo said, City only had two shots on target. and It was a double one from Erling Haaland following up his own shot. And I just think that even with Rodri in the team, Man City don't look the same or as good as they did last season. But without him, surely it's the time to put in Calvin Phillips. Yeah. I, I, do you know what I mean? Pep says the reason that Calvin Phillips isn't getting any game time is because Rodri's so good and so important. But if he can't play, why is it Rico Lewis being joined by like a centre-back? Put Calvin Phillips in there. He's good yeah, enough to start for England. He was good enough for you to sign him. If there's ever, and you're not playing very well, well, you're not playing up to your usual standards. If there's ever a time to put him in, and you need a bit of bite in there, you're missing that sort of that characteristic that can drag you through those difficult games. Um, I, I you know, it, I hope Pep is listening to the Pyramid podcast because if he had, if he had listened back towards the start of the season, if you remember rightly, even before the Wolves lost, they played Newcastle, they beat Newcastle one nil. But even in that game, I remember saying afterwards, it just looked like the opposition were having more success against Man City on the ball and attacking-wise than any other season. And that seems to have followed a bit of a pattern. Yes, some of the other teams are improved. Yes, they're missing some key players. But lots of teams have to deal with missing key players all the time. Arsenal have had Jesus out for long periods of time. Newcastle are completely depleted. Tottenham the same. City should be able to replace 
injured or suspended players with good enough players to come in and still get results. So I actually think it's on Pep that it's not working at the moment without Rodri. And that, that's two occasions. It's the last time he was suspended and it's this time. Yeah, yeah. Laura, it's a really good point. And Tomo, one of our uh, established listeners actually messaged in, didn't he, about wanting to speak about the midfielder Man City, um, wondering why you've got Nunes, uh, Kovacic, bench and you've then got a kanji stepping into midfield stone stepping into midfield rico lewis almost in the, the highlights that i watched because obviously i watched united chelsea looked like he was playing up alongside alvarez in behind harland do you think peps maybe like won the treble last year and now trying to you know uh, some of the man united players say the hardest thing is to the next season come and do it again do you think he's maybe just struggling a bit this year pep I don't know about that. I do, I do think he does like to tinker, doesn't he? And I'm starting, the last couple of games in particular, I'm starting to think that they're missing De Bruyne in that midfield role. You obviously would miss him. He's the best centre mid in the world in that position. But they, they've almost replaced him with Julian Alvarez. And the difference between those two players is that Alvarez is more of a forward and De Bruyne is more of a midfielder. So I wonder if that's kind of a big reason why they're a little bit easier to play against and they're easier to get at. And and if you think about it, Rodri has been sent off once this season and got five bookings. And why do you usually get booked uh, as a centre midfielder? It's because you've got players running towards you and you need to pull one down or you need to make a last-ditch tackle, etc. So obviously, the reason why he's getting booked is because they're easier to get out as well. Um, and I'm starting to think maybe the reason is because Alvarez is basically playing in that De Bruyne role, where obviously, as he's a forward, he's probably not doing the defensive work as well or as efficient as a De Bruyne would do, which is totally understandable because they're two completely different players. Yeah, and we've spoke about Gundogan again uh, previously, but again, you know, they're starting that game at Villa where probably last year they'd be starting KDB, Rodri and Gundogan. And instead, it's a Kanji or Stones, Rico Lewis, and Alvarez. It's just but even I, I assume that Kovacic was injured because Kovacic seemed to be the sign-in to re- try and replace Gundogan. To- and and he and he just never plays. So you've got to look at the recruitment as well. Was was letting Goodwin go and bringing in Kovacic as a replacement good enough? Definitely not. Kovacic has never scored that kind. I know he's a decent player and he's quite highly rated, but he certainly doesn't have the attacking output that a Gundogan would have. And I don't think he has the influence on the game that Gundogan would have. And he's not even getting in the team over the likes of Rico Lewis at the moment. So again, you've got a question: Was it right to let one go, and was it the right person to bring in to replace him as well? Um, so quite a few things I think for Man City and Pep to be pondering, and I, I do think I do think Pep is struggling a little bit and overthinking that kind of follow-up season to the treble, in my opinion. Yeah, boys, we'll move on from uh, from the Villa City game to Arsenal Luton. So Arsenal uh, went to Luton and won it at the death four three. Uh, Laura, would you now have Arsenal as favourites for the title given their current run of form? I had Arsenal for the favourites on the very first podcast where we uh, predicted the league, Alex. Um, But yes, I definitely would. What really impressed me about that game is Luton, to be fair to them, have shown that they can make it difficult at that ground with the fans, the close-knit pitch. Um, They made it difficult for Liverpool. They made it difficult for Arsenal. But what really um, impressed me for Arsenal was even in the last second of the game, that was like the 97th minute, I think, that Declan Rice, they were playing they weren't lumping it. They weren't panicking. They were playing. It went out wide. They brought a ball back in to change the angle for Odegaard's crossing. And there was Rice, who 
I think we all said at the start of the season would be a transformational figure for the club. He did it against Man United to seal the three points in that game. And he's done it again against Luton. And, you know, I think the commentator said it on the night. Sometimes within a season, you have little moments where you look back and think, hmm, that was probably one of the biggest reasons that the title went the way it did. And it wouldn't surprise me if that header that Declan Rice put in at Kenilworth Road is, is what we look back on this season. So really, really good result. Another late win for Arsenal. They've done that a couple of times recently. I think the Havertz goal at Brentford was late a couple of weeks ago. The difference in points in getting those draws into wins for Arsenal, whilst City are suffering in particular, is very, very good. So Arsenal firm favourites for me. And I think we said a couple of weeks ago, we fancied them to go on a run. They've won two since then. Villa next. Big one. Tomo, just looking at it from the other side of the coin, would you as an Arsenal fan be concerned that you're having to win games late, that you're having to go to Kenilworth Road and score in the 97th minute. I think there's been other instances where they've been grinding it out. Would that worry you? Not really. No. If you if you if you sort of say if you look at Sir Alex Ferguson's best teams, they were known for grinding out like grinding out teams and, and winning in Fergie time, shall we say. And if you look at what Arsenal have done, they obviously got the 97th minute winner against Luton, 89th minute winner against Brentford, 84th minute equaliser against Chelsea. 86th minute winner against City, 96th and 101st minute winners against United. And in 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 most of those games, you'd say they weren't that great, but they've got the win and that's the important thing. And actually, when you win a title, those are the games that sort of, those sort of draws that turn to wins or those, those losses that turn to draws are the points that will um, get you over the line. So... No, I only see those those kind of results and those late the, those late goals as a positive, completely positive. Uh, on, the, on the Luton game specifically, if you do the direct comparable, Liverpool went there and they scored in the last minute as well, but that was to equalise and not to win the game. And there, there's a difference that you can put right next to each other there. And I think the difference between Arsenal and Liverpool is two points at the moment, and there's your two points. So it couldn't you couldn't paint a more significant picture than that. Arsenal are getting the points. And if Arsenal are struggling and they're top of the league by two points and six clear of City, then I dread to think what the rest of the league are doing. Like I said, I think that we're going to see some big wins from them soon. Yeah, and just touched on obviously Kenilworth Road and, and Liverpool and Arsenal struggle. Interestingly, we'll come on to the preview in a bit. City go to Kenilworth Road this weekend. So uh, be interested to get your boys' thoughts on that uh, in a bit. Um Switch it up a bit to a, a team that are down the bottom of the table. Uh, Everton uh, played last night against uh, Newcastle and won 3 0. Tomo, without the points deduction, Everton would be up to 10th. So just a bit on the uh, job that Sean Dyche is doing there. Yeah. Unbelievable, really. Like it seems to have, it seems to just be getting everything out of them. And actually, the se- it's not so, it's not a secret, really. But I think that one of the biggest things, um, of their success this season would be the the centre-back partnership of Tarkovsky and Bramthwaite. They look so solid and they complement each other really well. And the biggest compliment you could give them to is they're keeping that Ben Godfrey out the team, who's a very good player. Um, and clearly, once you've got that sorted, um, you've got your your defence sorted, then you can build and build. And, and that's what they're doing. And... And... Look, they fully deserve their win against Newcastle yesterday. I know Trippier got a little bit of stick for a couple of mistakes, etc. But you've got to be there to take advantage of those, of those mistakes. And and now they've got the quality 
in Dwight McNeil, in Jack Harrison, um, in Beto to <laughs> to take advantage of those mistakes. So look, they 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 well deserve their three points um yesterday. That's two wins in a row now, obviously conceded zero in both those games. Um out of the bottom three, like you say, even with the 10-point deduction, I think they'll be fine. They'll be fine. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And Laurie, just a bit on Newcastle. Um, do you think that's just a, now been a eventual same 11 playing the same run of games and some big games in there against PSG, Man United? Do you think they just ran out of steam last night at Goodison Park? Um a little bit. I'm not sure I would I would just go solely down that route. They had some big chances. I mean, we've got a very good um, friend of ours, haven't we, that's a big Toon fan that thinks um, Anthony Gordon was match-fixing last night because he went through almost one-on-one against Pickford a couple of times, one he put straight at him and one he stuck over the bar. Um, so they had the chances, Newcastle. Everton's not an easy place to go. You you know you, you're always up against the crowd who are a really good 12th man there. Um, but in terms of tiredness and maybe switching off a little bit, I mean, Trippier is quite obvious, isn't it? He's normally the one that you can rely on to stand up and be, you know, an eight or nine out of 10 every week for them. And he kind of made two glaring errors, didn't he, for the first and the second goal. Um, And then I think he might have been the one playing better one side for the third. So, yeah, probably a little bit of everything. They probably caught Everton at the wrong time. The game that happened last night is what I was expecting against Man United. That sort of ferocity and siege mentality. Obviously, Garnacho's overheads kind of killed that one the other week, but Newcastle fell victim to it last night. But not solely on the tight legs, but of course, it seemed to come into it a little bit with the likes of Trippier, um, sort of uncharacteristically making mistakes to concede all three goals, really. Yeah. And as a Man United fan, uh, it was good to see Newcastle drop some points there. And another side that did, Laurie, was Tottenham. So Tottenham won, uh, West Ham two. Big result for West Ham. But just want to bring you in. I know you're a big fan of Ange, but one point from 15 for Ange now. Um, has obviously got massive credit for continuing to play his style of play. But do you think it's starting to show a little bit of naivety and not picking up a win in five and only getting one point from it with the current squad that he's got? No, not naivety. I love managers that have the courage of their convictions and stick to a philosophy and aren't... You, you'll, you'll come unstuck doing the opposite. As soon as people start telling you you are being naive and you need to maybe stick someone in a hole and start putting out fires and being a bit more pragmatic and doing something that isn't within your um, belief system, that's when you get unstuck. You hear about Gary Neville when he went to Valencia. He said people started telling him what to do and he started thinking, oh yeah, I better do that. And then you lose the respect straight away. If you want your players to have belief and keep going and stick to the game plan the whole time, you need to have a solid philosophy that is in place, very similar to Bielsa at Leeds. And eventually it'll bring success. If you take the last five games um, and compartmentalise them, obviously it looks bad because it's one in five. But when you add the context that they've been missing some key players, a lot of key players, and you also couple that with the fact that they've actually been the better team in a lot of those games. I personally, it can't go on forever. It's a results business and just got to pick up some points. But I personally believe that the next win is around the corner. And look, Spurs are still fifth. Do you know what I mean? If you had said to Spurs fans, you'd be three points behind City and fifth in December. I think you'd have said that was at least par. So I don't think there's a big problem. But of course, sometimes you're a victim of your own success, aren't you? And obviously they came flying out the blocks when they had a full fettle of players and now it seems a little bit disappointing to be on this run of form but there are reasons for it and I don't think Ange Postacoglu is the main one and Tomo just a bit on West Ham so West Ham up to ninth now they're only three points off that fifth spot that Tottenham holders Loro said 
I think over the last month or so, there's been a few questions about David Moyes in West Ham, but surely after winning a European trophy last year, and I know obviously three points is massive, so that would have called it last night. There can't be any sort of pressure for him in his job currently. No, not at all. Like they're exactly where they should be. And actually, I think they're, in terms of points wise, I think they're probably overperforming. Like you just said, three points off um, Tottenham and Man United. Um, and look, they've got, a, they've just got a very good team now. I think that Mohamed Kudus is an unbelievable player. And I was, I was watching that game yesterday and they've got, obviously got Bowen, who's a fantastic. And I was just thinking the Premier League now might be the strongest it's ever been. And I know we spoke a little bit about it, but you've got like Kurt Zuma and Agard centre-back, James Ward-Prowse and, and um, all these players, just unbelievable. And they're ninth, they're sitting ninth in the in the Prem. But yeah, look, they did really well last, last night. I thought they were terrible in the first half and probably rightly, I, I saw a couple of like West Ham fans on Twitter give, giving the team stick, but rightly so, because they gave Tottenham way too much respect. And they come out in the second half and... That's the that's the problem with Tottenham at the minute is they don't kill kill teams off and and you give a team like West Ham a sniff and obviously the goals they were a little bit lucky like they a couple of deflections like led and gave um sort of Jared Bowen the it 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 went into his path and obviously he scored you expected him to score but then and then James or Prowse to do what he did where it was a one two off the post I'm, I don't think I've ever seen that before but yeah look. That he should have so much credit in the bank for the job that he's done. And um the problem is, I think, with with managers like Moyes, is because they're not they're not as free-flowing and attacking football, is is once the results start to turn a little bit, then it's so easy for the fans to sort of throw that in your face. But a couple of wins like they've got, then it just completely turns it around and they're, they're exactly where they should be. Yeah, and we'll move on, boys. But touched on uh, a good midweek for United with Newcastle, Spurs, City, um, all dropping points. Tomo, 2-1 versus Chelsea, a game that probably should have had uh, way more goals in it. Do you think that was United's best display of the season? Yeah, going forward, for sure. We were, um, we accumulated, I mean, I know you're going to slag off XG, but our XG for that game was 4.46, which is our highest Um was our was our highest in any game since the last time we played Chelsea, which was five point five six. So I don't know whether Chelsea are just crap, um, <coughs> but yeah, I, I, it was a positive performance. Scott McTominay, I mean, I'm going to give another XG stat here, but his XG for that night was one point nine seven, which was more than double Man City's against Aston Villa, um, and it goes to show how sort of forward thinking he is now in that Man United midfield. Um, we won two one. We should have absolutely battered them. To be fair, and as watching that side, mate, I just probably was a little bit nervous, just thinking because we've got that self sabotage button quite often. Um, we absolutely battered them in the first half, and then you go and concede last minute in the first half against um, with Cole Palmer. And I just thought the same would happen again. But it was a good a good win. The attacking players played well. Big call to drop Rashford. But I thought it was the right call. And obviously, it's the right call when you go and win the game. Garnacho played well. I thought Anthony did well, even though he's probably the most frustrating player in the history of football to watch. Um, so, yeah, onwards and upwards. And I know 
the eye test doesn't lie. So let's not ignore that. But United are three points off Man City. Do you know what I mean? It's absolutely insane this this Premier League season. Laurie, just going to bring you in on McTominay. Um, I'll, I'll be first to admit that I've been critical recently of him in that side, but he continues to score goals. I know he's done it against Leeds before. I think you've quoted him as prime Zidane in that game uh, against Leeds. Just your thoughts on him as a player and specifically in that Man United side? Yeah, well, I, I was going to ask you the same question because the other night you raised eyebrows in the WhatsApp group by saying that you think that McTominay was a little bit of a liability within that team. Now, from an outsider looking in on Man United, I look at McTominay and think he's an absolute breath of fresh air in your last kind of 10 to 15 games. He's always a threat in the box. He scored five Premier League goals now. He kind of reminds me of like the Everton Fellaini, you know, where they like played in Cam and he was just a big athletic kind of robot in the box and he just gets chances. And McTominay scored two on... Um, Wednesday, but he could have watching match of the day. He had another couple of guilt edge chances as well. So, although you would have liked him to put him away, at least he's getting in those areas. And when you've got strikers that don't really score, i.e., I'm not sure Hoysland's even got one in the league yet, you need to be getting goals from somewhere. So, do you want to talk us through your reservations about Batomane and the Man United team? Yeah, I can do. Um, basically, he sits in a midfield two with either Amrabat or Casemiro so far this season or Ericsson at times. Um, and then you've got Bruno. And Bruno is like a complete and utter maverick where you look at any one stage during a game and he might be stood at left back tackling someone or he might be out on the right wing crossing the ball in or he's stood up with the striker or out on the left. You know, you get my drift. That means that that midfield two that are then in place for Man United need to have more structure. We've seen time and time again this season, starting off with the Wolves game and continued throughout the season, that our midfield is seriously exposed. And that doesn't matter whether it's Casemiro that's been sat in there, whether it's been Amrabat that's sat in there, um, Ericsson who's been sat in front of the back four. So McTominay's role then needs to be sitting in alongside that other midfielder and what he's not doing is providing that cover for it so it's really good when he's going and getting a brace against Chelsea and winning you the game but there's been plenty of other occasions where he is not sat in there and we're not scoring goals and we're completely overrunning midfield and the other point to that as well is he is seriously poor on the ball if you go if you watch him in games he is so bad at winning the ball passing the ball he breaks down play um, a lot when we're attacking because of his wayward passing. So I just think he's got to try and find the right balance with him. And it's currently, yes, midweek he scored a brace. So that outweighs his poor performance in midfield. But a lot of the time he doesn't score braces. OK, well, let me mediate this because, Tigo, I can see you're shaking your head and I will bring you in. Um, five goals for McTominay this season now and United haven't been the highest scorers in the league. So is it a... Is it a um a thing of finding the right tactical balance, like Murphy saying, to keep some of those goals coming, but make sure it's sure in midfield? Or do you disagree altogether and think he's doing the right thing both defensively and going forward? Well, no, I I don't think he's... He's the reason, or he is one of the biggest reasons, him and Bruno are the biggest reasons why we look so vulnerable in midfield on the way back. But with McTominay, it's all about perception. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Murph, but I don't agree with the fact that you said that McTominay plays in a two. He doesn't. We play we play a DM and then we play McTominay and Bruno in a two further forward. So <clears throat> I think it's a directive from Eric Ten Hag for McTominay to get into the box 
and it, and he's definitely done that more over the last six to eight weeks. Um, and the perception being, you essentially, if you instruct McTominay to do that, then you're getting his goal for it, and you're getting all of the the things that are good about him. But you have to accept the negative, which is that we do look a little bit more vulnerable on the counter. And it exposes that centre mid. When Casemiro was there, he looked hell of a exposed at the start of the season. And Amrabat or Mayno, they look they look exposed basically. But but sometimes when it comes to a player, you almost have to take his positives and and almost not allow, but almost work around the negative, like the tactical, um, the negative of, of what's happening in his game. I don't know. It's difficult. And I do agree with what you're saying, Murph. But the problem is for us is we don't know exactly what Ten Hag's instructions are. And I think from the outside looking in, his instructions are for McTominay to get into the box at every opportunity and to work as hard as, as to work as possibly hard getting back. But obviously you can't do both all the time. Uh, I think if McTominay doesn't score a goal for United in a game, he's dropping like three fours out of tens. He's never just winning a midfield battle or driving a team forward or creating chances. He is almost becoming like goal scorer. I tell you what, you said about Fellaini, Laura, who reminds me a little bit of how like Decore is being asked to play for Everton, sort of like pop up with goals, arrive in the box. But Everton then don't have a running about the pitch, doing whatever. They leave that to your Harrisons and McNeils that play a bit wider with DCL. It kind of just feels that it's probably tactical. You're right, Tomo, but can McTominay and Bruno stay in the same midfield? I think you need an absolutely world-class DM. Is that is it Casemiro, who's a little bit older? You make the like Everton comparison. They'll have Adrissa, Garnagay and Onana probably sat in behind and letting their number 10 as Dukori plays for them or eight and a half go. The problem seems to be that you can't, obviously drop Bruno, but McTominay scoring too many goals to drop as well. So it's it's kind of, you've got to take the rough with the smooth if you want to play like that, or drop one. Last point on this, would you drop Bruno over McTominay at the minute? No, never drop Bruno. It creates too much. I'll tell you one thing though, it, if if Hoyland's not scoring any goals, could big, big Scott play in front of it in a false nine type thing with another midfielder in there? Potentially. Well, Fellaini did Fellaini did that as well for Everton, I think. They used to stick him up yeah. front, didn't they? Never know. So, but yeah, importantly, three points for Man United. Still the informed team in the league. Uh, and we'll come on to preview in a bit, but got Bournemouth uh, at home at the weekend. Just a roundup of the other Premier League action. So, uh, Liverpool won at Sheffield United 2-0. Uh, Obviously, Sheffield United got Chris Wilder coming in. Um, and he'll be looking at future games to pick up points there. Fulham beat Nottingham Forest 5-0. Is that Steve Cooper now done? Uh, Brighton beat Brentford 2-1. More worryingly for Brentford will be the injury to Brian and Buemo, which looked a bad one. Uh, Palace lost 2-0 at home to Bournemouth, so put some pressure on Roy Hodgson. And Wolves beat Burnley 1-0 with a link-up from Huang and Kuno, who've been getting praise on the pod and uh, in the wider media alike. Boys, move on to the weekend action. We've spoke about Villa and Arsenal and both their results midweek. That's first v third. Laurie coined it probably the biggest game of the season so far. Is that a game that you can give a honest prediction on that you, you fancy a team either way? I fancy Villa because they've won the last 14 home games. Um, but I've also said that I fancy Arsenal to go on a, a long run now. And I think if you ask Mikel Arteta now, if he'd take a point at Villa Park, I think he'd take it. 
Um, you're just looking at their performances at home at the moment, the way that they kind of overran City midweek. Arsenal obviously have been conceding a few goals of late as well, three at Kenilworth Road. If you offered Mick Arteta a 0-0 or a 1-1 draw and get out of Villa now, particularly with the little buffer they've got um, over City, who I think they'll worry about more than Liverpool at the moment, rightly or wrongly, I think they take it. Um, I hate sitting on the... This isn't sitting on the fence. I actually think it will be a draw. I think Arsenal might end the winning streak for Villa, but I'm not sure they're going to have enough to beat them. They'll have enough going forward, but will they have enough to keep out Villa's kind of prowess going forward at the moment? Um, you know, it, for me, it feels like a one-all. But if either team wins that game, whoever if Arsenal win it, they are outright favourites. I still don't think the bookies have got them at favourites in the minute. I think City still are just. Obviously, we know they're my favourites. If they win that, they'll be nine points clear of City. Um, who play on the Sunday, I think, and that will be massive. And that will be bigger than I think, or as big as a lead that they had last season that we keep on referring to. So absolutely monumentally massive game. And if Villa win it, wow, I mean, huge. That would be a 15th league home win in a row, I think, and they would have just beaten Man City in Arsenal. So you'd think they've got some better fixtures to come. Hugely intriguing intriguing well, game. And you wouldn't, you wouldn't have thought it at, at the start of the season, but I think this is the biggest game of the season so far. Come on. Um, yeah. yeah, listen, I've just had a look at the head-to-heads there and Arsenal have won the last four games in the Premier League against Villa, but I think we can ignore that completely um, just because look, Villa have won 14 in a row at Villa Park. Um, like The whole end on Saturday is going to be absolutely balmy. 5.30 kickoff, under the lights, I think Villa will win. And I think on Monday's podcast, I'll be coming on and saying, okay, they're in the title race now. Yeah, I mean, that's a that's a massive game that, um, again, I, I don't think that you're sitting on the fence by saying draw there, Laura. I think you've got two managers there who will probably be like afterwards, you know, set up for not losing the game. And if they both got a draw, yeah, it would end Villa's winning streak. Disappointed with a point, especially not Mikel Arteta with the game against Liverpool to come before Christmas. Um, another big game, boys, Tottenham versus Newcastle. Obviously, we spoke about their drop points uh, yesterday. Uh, Tomo, Tottenham in need of a win against Newcastle. Newcastle showing signs of fatigue. Uh, where do you fancy that game to, to finish up? I fancy Tottenham. I fancy Tottenham. I just think... I watched the last sort of 30 minutes of that Newcastle game last night and they just looked absolutely shattered. And over the last three or four games, you can tell, like, Eddie Howe's not even making any changes in games or if he is there, like, really late on. It's like these players are just knackered and they've got that AC Milan game. I don't know whether it's Tuesday or um, well, it must be Wednesday if they're playing on Sunday. Um, but they've got that AC Milan game coming up, which is absolutely massive for them and you think it's probably more important at this stage of the season um than this this Tottenham game and I just for some reason I know Tottenham haven't won in five games and they've obviously only drawn one I just think they're due they're due a win because they're actually playing quite well um and they're creating loads of chances so I just think I just think Spurs um will get a win and um yeah I just think that that's where it's going to go this weekend yeah I, I do too, but the only caveat to that is his son limped off last night, late doors, and there's a couple of videos going around of him sat on the bench afterwards with his head in his hands. He said he'll be fine. Um, 
Yeah. Okay. Well, FPL have got him as a an or. I hope you're right because I actually brought him into my FPL team before the game last night, thinking I'll get him before he scores a couple tonight and his price goes up. And then to see him limping off just sort of summarizes my FPL season. But <laughs> I digress. If Son plays, I think exactly the same as Teagal. I think good performances from Tottenham and they're due a, a win against uh, Newcastle side who maybe a floundering a little bit and a, a below the likes of Man United in the table and a below the likes of Spurs in the table. So really it should be a home win. Um, if Newcastle get something there though, it'd be a brilliant result. Yeah, indeed. Uh, Lauro, Luton host Man City as we've touched on. Uh, just a bit on what, what do you think it is about Luton versus these big sides where they're getting a point against Liverpool, taking Arsenal deep with Man City to come? What, what do you think that it is with Rob Edwards and, and the Luton side? Maybe just a brand of football that you're not accustomed to playing in the Premier League. It's kind of like, it always feels like an FA Cup tie to me there. Especially against the big boys, it's almost like Luton have drawn. T- not to be disrespectful, by the way, but I know they're a Premier League club, but it feels like they're extra up for it. The pitch is tight. The fans are on top of you. They play, um, they can play some football, but they can play fairly directly as well with Big Adebayo at front. A couple of their goals come from corners. Um Ross Barkley's adding a little bit of panache at the moment. He seems to be having a little bit of a purple patch of form. Um, and I just think that maybe teams go there and subconsciously have a little bit of complacency or underestimate them a little bit, and maybe that will change. But do you know what? I think that could be a really, really difficult game for Man City again. Um, I think it will be a hard battling performance needed to beat Luton on Sunday. And like I've mentioned a couple of times, I'm not sure that they've got enough of those characters in the team at the moment. So... Yeah, we'll have to wait and see. Obviously, City will be big favourites. But, yeah, I mean, two o'clock. So, second half, it will probably be dark and the floodlights will come on and maybe something special can happen. And let's hope it does. Pomo, I've got Haaland and Alvarez in my fantasy team. Um, and uh, I've seen a few people discussing about triple captain of uh, Haaland this weekend. But you agree that it's not as clear-cut as, as that for City? Obviously, got Rodri coming back in, though. Yeah, well, yeah, that's a massive boost. Obviously, they seem, I think they've won like 20 in a row when he plays or something ridiculous like that. I, I haven't got the stat in front of me, but um, no, I do I do expect a reaction from City because they were terrible. Like, I know we spoke about it, but they were bad against Villa and it wasn't just the fact they lost the game. They were poor all, all round. I wonder if that's just a massive wake-up call and it'll be like... They just go to Kenilworth Road and just batter him because it's like because Guardiola demands that, and I I I do worry a little bit for Luton just because of you expect a champion like Man City and a team um, managed by Pep Guardiola to react to a, to a performance like that. Um. So yeah, but I, I fancy City to win. Obviously, I mean that's not the shock of the century, is it? But uh, um. Move on, boys. Crystal Palace versus Liverpool. Lauro, Liverpool playing at 12.30 again. Did you see the um, sort of pundit speaking to Klopp about the 12.30 game and making a bit of a joke of it and Klopp just completely lost his head at him? Yeah, no, I did watch the video, but I saw it. Klopp was getting pelters, wasn't he, for not having a sense of humour. Um, what, they goaded him about the half-12 kickoffs, did they? Yeah, he, he basically said, oh, a, a football... A, kickoff time that Liverpool are now used to and Klopp was like oh I don't find that funny it's not like a joke but you guys can you know constantly seem to take aim at it and make light of it and then basically it was Mardi for the rest of the minute that they had him and then he almost was like right yeah thanks and and walked off yeah. 
Well, he likes to keep as much in his locker to use to keep that siege mentality and maybe use an excuse if they do ever lose a game. Um, but uh, this week sums up Liverpool's season. Everyone's talking about um, the Man City result, Arsenal late winner, Villa have won, blah, blah, blah. Sit, uh, Liverpool under the radar, 2-0 win, another three points, second in the league. And now they're going to Crystal Palace, who I think got booed off after losing to Bournemouth in the week, who aren't in a uh, very good vein of form at the moment. And I was looking this morning to see, I was looking for McTominay actually on the top goal scorer charts. He's on five in the league. Darwin Nunes is on four. And, you know, we're quite big fans of him, I think, unanimously on this podcast. But that isn't a good enough return considering he's played 14 of the 15 games this season. And it makes me think there's a hat trick coming somewhere to boost him up to that sort of six, seven or eight goal bracket, which most of the decent strikers are on at the moment. And I just worry that Selhurst Park for Crystal Palace might be the place he does it. I remember Liverpool winning 7-0 there a couple of seasons ago. And I think it could be a big one for Liverpool midday on Saturday. Yeah, did you boys see what um, Hodgson said after the game? I know you just said they got booed off. And actually, it's the first time, I think, um, that the Palace fans have started to turn a little bit on Hodgson. But after the game, he said that these fans don't know how lucky they've had it for the last five, five or six years. Yeah. And and I just think sometimes when you start coming for the fans like that and the fans turn on you, then it, it the, the sort of the writing's on the wall a little bit. And obviously Hodgson coming in at Palace was always almost like a stopgap anyway. Yeah. And for me, I, I know they wanted to hire Steve Cooper um, last time out, but obviously he's at Forest. And Steve Cooper, I think, is about to get sacked at Forest. Um and Hodgson, it just feels like the right sort of time to make that switch where Cooper just comes straight in at Palace. Um, yeah. But yeah, you never know. Like 12.30, Liverpool hate those games. Um, definitely don't make jokes about it, though. Yeah, definitely not. He's not got the best sense of humour, has he? Uh, Tom, actually unbeaten in four. I didn't realise quite how well they were doing. Um, so what I maybe thought of was going to be another home win for United maybe might not be as uh, easy as first thought. Um, nah, but look, look, it's that Old Trafford. Bournemouth are playing well, um, but it's that Old Trafford. United put in their best shift at a performance against Chelsea. You'd like to think that training will be buzzing this week, etc. And and the players are up for it and you just, and just get the win. I, I, I still fancy United to win that, even though you are right. That Iriola's got them playing some good football. I know at the start of the season we spoke about him and Bournemouth. They were they were coming along, coming against the wrong side of the result, even though they're playing well. And it feels like now they're they're still playing well, but they're they're getting the results. So they look like they'll be fine as well because the three relegated teams from last year, it looks long for them. And with some difficult um, sort of looking games for Tottenham, obviously against Newcastle, Aston Villa versus Arsenal. We spoke about the potential jeopardy of Man City going to Luton, Loro. If United do pick up three points, they won't be too far off the top four. They might even creep up into fifth, although I'm not sure if goal difference will allow it. Actually, they're level on points to Tottenham, so it would allow it. Maybe cautious optimism for United fans for heading into the festive period in the second half of the season. If you were optimistic, I think it would be false. Um, look, enjoy it whilst you can, because you might, you might, you might end up in a false position in the table and like get to fifth or fourth or something. But like we've 
been talking about the last few weeks. We know that they're not as good as a lot of these teams. Um, Newcastle are better than them. Tottenham are better than them. The top three are better than them. Um, and on their day, probably Brighton are better than them as well. So for me, just on going off the eye test, I don't think there's too much to be optimistic about for Man United finishing in the top four. Although the table doesn't lie, although it does until the very last game of the season where everyone's played each other twice. Um, why not? For your three points off Man City. So keep saying that and maybe you can use that as a, a little bit of a um, motivation to carry on and see how far you can get. But you know what happens with Man United. There'll be a, a really bad loss soon and everyone's heads will fall off. Yeah, but just just a quick note of um, positivity. We have spoke a lot in this podcast about Arsenal um, not playing well that season, but picking up loads of points. And the same could be said for United in that we haven't really played well at all all season, yet we're still in and around that top four race and obviously like we spoke about three points off City so if Ten Hag could get one or two players back fit again and we start playing better then all of a sudden you'd like to think that the 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 results or the performances um, are better then the results will sort of follow the same trends but yeah Laura you're completely right it wouldn't surprise me one iota that if Bournemouth go to Old Trafford and win 1-0 and we stink the place out so yeah, I think there's some substance in what you're saying, but got the goal difference column in the Premier League table is an interesting one, and I think reads a lot. You can tell a lot from Man United. They're on zero, yeah. like they're you know they're only like Fulham downwards have got worse goal difference. Everyone else in the top half is way above them, and I think that just shows that lack of quality. You're not put, you're not winning games convincingly, are you? Um, yeah. And it's great if you can grind them out. But like you've just made the comparison with Arsenal, we're now expecting them to go and put a few teams away and put them to the sword. I'm not expecting that from Man United, if I'm honest with you. I'm expecting a bad defeat to come against someone you're not expecting and, you know, the negativity to creep in again. And for that to change, we'll need a consistent run of not just good results, but people actually buying into what Ayrton Hagen, the players are doing on the pitch, because there just seems to be a constant black shadow, regardless of what the results are. They were saying it on TalkSport in the week. They were saying, we bat- Andy Goldstein, I think, said, we batter Man United every week. Why aren't we battering Chelsea? Because United have been far better than Chelsea this season. Do you know what I mean? Um, there just seems yeah. to be another level of expectation to Man United. Maybe rightly so. And I know this podcast is two-thirds Man United fans and that doesn't help in that regard. But um, I think United will probably finish exactly where they are now. Sith. Oh, I'd just say that United go through these like mini cycles, don't they, where they pick up a few points and they drop a performance which looks like fairly promising. And we might, you know, go and beat Bournemouth, but then you go straight to Anfield in our next uh, in our next Premier League game midweek. Uh, obviously, we, we'll discuss this more on Monday, but midweek we've got Bayern Munich, where if we don't win, then we finish bottom of our group in Europe. So you know, it might be really positive, get a result against Bournemouth, but we could be sat here in a couple of weeks' time where we're out of all of Europe and we put up a feeble display at Anfield, as we always do at the minute, and you sat back having the same conversations we were last week, right? Would you boys rather finish third or fourth? In the, I don't know if this is a stupid question, but would you rather go into the Europa League or rather just drop out and concentrate on the league? No, I'd rather go in the Europa League, 100%. Same yeah, I think I, I think I asked this question of, of you two last time, and um, Tomo ridiculed me, said it was a ridiculous question. I think. Oh, no, uh, no he did. Sorry, I just yeah. 
the reason I'm asking again then is because obviously the table at the moment looks like there could be some promise. And you know that the old one of the team that's not in Europe can sometimes go under the radar and, and perform better in the league. Maybe that would have adjusted your mindsets. But no, you still think European competition and maybe the Europa League is your best route uh, or your best chance of getting into your uh, Champions League next season. I didn't think it was that bad a question, Laurie, to be honest. I think that Europa League, especially with some of the sides that are in there, uh, I don't think we'd win that either. You know, Liverpool are in it. There's no way we'd beat them over two legs. But um, I guess it's another avenue and potential option for us to qualify through champ for the Champions League by winning that. So if we can yeah, stay in the competition, fine. Just, just a quick one, though. Like, like, leave that out of it. As a football fan, would you rather sit down on a Thursday night and not watch Man United... Or sit down on a Thursday night and watch Man United. Fuck me, some of the displays this season make the latter. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. No, you're right. I do. I do. I. It's you're always buzzing at you when it's like, oh, United are on tomorrow, United are on tonight, and all of that. So, I know we've not had much Champs League over the last few years, so you kind of got used to a bit of Thursday night footy. But it's almost been a bit of like a have the Tuesday, Wednesday Champs League. Yeah, I mean. Who knows? We might we might pull off a miracle. Copenhagen and Galatasaray might draw and we might beat Bayern Munich at home. Hopefully they put their second string out and we might qualify for the knockouts. So and it, all options on the table. Boys, I just whizzed through the rest of the Premier League games for the weekend. So Everton uh, host Chelsea. I think if there's one side that Everton would want at Goodison Park, it would be Chelsea uh, at the moment. They look spineless. Uh, Fulham play West Ham. Murph, mid- actually, quickly. I, yeah, I, go on, Tomo. I've got a theory about Chelsea that I wanted to bring up on the podcast. And I, Go on. And I wanted to ask you, Booz, basically... This would be good. Yeah, I know, yeah. My theory is this, is that um, Chelsea and Todd Bowley have made a t- has made a monumental and terrible error given all these players' seven- and eight-year contracts because I think footballers... Well, I was about to say I think footballers are humans, but they are humans just like everyone else. And I think in any walk any walk of life if you get an eight-year contract and you're guaranteed 200 grand a week in Reese James's case 250 grand a week Mudrick's case 150 grand a week all of these players I think it's so easy just to take your foot off the gas in terms of life because you know even if you try one percent or two percent less in training every single day for the next four years you still got a four-year contract so that security of that contract is actually working against Chelsea, I think, at the minute. Um, I don't know whether you boys agree or disagree, but... Well, look, obviously, we know that Todd Bowley's made those moves and done those long contracts as a way of trying to manoeuvre his financial fair play position in, in order for him to spend more money quicker. But I guess you're right. The reverse side of that is that the players have sort of got a guaranteed tenure of income and a contract for a certain amount of time that means they maybe they're not um suitably motivated to have to perform week in week out that you know the sort of devil on one shoulder angel on the other side the angel side hopes in me that people like reese james have got to where they are because they've got a certain mindset that they want to reach the top and they want to be the best that they can be regardless of what their contract is obviously the money that they get paid whether on the on one year or eight year contracts is fantastic but i would just hope that like Reese James, he wants to like better himself and get into the England squad and be the right back and just be have the best career he can. And rather than his motivation being the length of his contract and that affecting his performances. But you're right, if if one or two percent come off at the very highest level, 
it is going to affect performances. And Chelsea have been very inconsistent this season, haven't they? Some wins they've had, some games they look quite good and they've won. And then straight after it, they go and lose. It's happened this week. They beat Brighton, they lost to Man United. So, you know, it's probably hard to argue with that fact. Um, and of course, even if every footballer um, or even if some footballers at Chelsea do have that mindset of wanting to be the best that they can be regardless, there's always going to be some that aren't. And you need a whole squad at it, as a big Andrew always says at Tottenham. He'd rather have a squad of committed, hungry players than a squad of world-class players that don't care. Because just quickly, before Murph, you come in on that, um, maybe you do agree, but because I think even though these, you are right, players get paid so much, but even so, when they get to down to the last two or one year, one year of their deal, you quite often see players playing much better and they seem to be trying a little bit harder because they're trying to get their next contract, whether it be at another club or the club that they're at. And it feels like Bowley's come in and he's put 10 to 12 to 15 players on these between six and nine year contracts. So everyone's in that sort of safe, that comfortable zone, if you know what I mean, and you are right. Only it only takes one or two percent of the like um, lack of trying to then you you go in on a Saturday and it it makes the biggest bit of difference. So I don't know what you think there. Yeah, completely agree with you, Tomo. I think a perfect example of that is Moise Saucedo. I've never seen someone more hungry to succeed than him at Brighton, and then he sort of refused to train said he wanted to go to Chelsea, he's gone to Chelsea, now looks to me like he... I've now made it. I've got an eight-year deal. I'm on 200 grand a week. I, I think that I think that's a perfect example of it. And you see other examples of it, don't you, where people get their big deals. Aubameyang's done it. Sanchez done it with Man United. Rashford. Uh, Rashford's doing it now for United. Um, I think there's too many instances of that happening for it to be a coincidence. So... Ozil, Ozil did it as well. Yeah, yeah. One of the one of the biggest indictments, or the dam most damning indictments of Chelsea that you can make is they're tenth in the league, and no one really raises an eyebrow at that now. In such a quick space of time yeah. since Todd Bowley's come in, they've gone from oh well, Chelsea like last season when Tuchel was struggling with all these players at the start, it was it was like Chelsea are in the bottom half. They're tenth now, they're cruising along, and like Goldstein pointed out on Talksport, no one's really saying anything. It's kind of expected that Chelsea will win one, lose one and sort of float around that mid-table. They've lost um, they've lost 17 games in the Premier League in 2023, which is more than 2022 and 20, 2021 combined. It's insane. Go, then. And probably their one kind of old-school leader, Thiago Silva, now looks like his legs have gone and probably going to leave this year. I just think they got a bad dressing room Lampard said about it when he was in there the the standards in training for more SEN John Terry um, I think they're a completely different club now Chelsea uh, and to be honest thinking about it those eight-year contracts with these players if they don't get Europe they're not going to sign any more big players these players might start to just completely down tools people can't afford to pay out their contracts then could be a bit real real bad patch for Chelsea yeah yeah, so, yeah, just to go back to the roundup of the rest of the um, Prem action, uh, Fulham versus West Ham, midweek wins for both of those sides, be looking to build on that. Uh, Sheffield United host Brentford, so Chris Wilde will be uh, looking for a media. This is Forest, so it might be Cooper's last chance there in a Midlands derby. And uh, Brighton, Brighton host Burnley, obviously Brighton beat Brentford midweek and 
Vincent Company's men lost at Wolves, so they'll be looking to bounce back there. Boys, we best move on to the Championship, and Tomo, start with the Pyramid Pod Cup. So, uh, third versus second in the form table, uh, Southampton go to Watford. They've obviously held the Cup now for six games. I just wonder if this could be where the Pyramid Pod Cup changes hands this weekend. Yeah, yeah, I know what you, I know what you mean. Watford have sort of they were definitely turned a corner, like you just said, with a with a form table. And I don't know if you bought. I think we mentioned on the last pod, didn't we, about that Wesley Hoyt's forty-five yard winner in the last game against Hull. Um, so yeah, they, they've obviously got something going. So, look, it's a tough one to call that one. I'm going to go for a draw and Southampton hold the cup um, because we keep speaking about Southampton every single week. They they seem to dominate teams every week and they're 11 unbeaten now and they keep winning. And Adam Armstrong, he's banging the goals in every single week. So it's difficult to, it's a difficult game to call, really is. So I'm going to go draw and Southampton hold it. I'm going to go for the Glory Hornet boys bringing home the Pyramid Pod Cup. This, I just think if you're going at a, way, a big club like Watford who are in good form, if I was a Southampton fan, I'd be quite worried about that. I'd be looking at that thinking, oh, that's... That's a horrible game. And they've got some quality, Watford. And I wasn't aware they were in that good a form. But if they are, obviously a very tough place to go. And it feels like Southampton have been getting results for too long now. And they're due um, a slip up. So I think it might come at Vicarage Road. It would be good if Southampton... Nice if they they do lose it in the coming weeks. Because uh, I want to see the FA Cup fixtures come in and see if like a little lower league side, say if Watford held it for a bit, they suddenly have Chesterfield in the FA Cup. So it'd be lovely if it suddenly dropped down to the National League and we can maybe give that league a bit more coverage. So uh, yeah, but interesting game. Uh, Lauro, obviously we've spoke about uh, Leicester and and the need for Leeds and the the chasing pack for them to drop points. They host Plymouth. Um, I had a look at Plymouth results. They seem to be win one, draw one, win one, lose one. Complete mixed bag from them so far. Do you think they can uh, go and get anything at Leicester? Well, they've they've got a really really good player in Morgan Whitaker, who's proved that he can be a match winner. And if you're going to go somewhere like Leicester, you're going to need the rub of the green. You need them to be off it a little bit, and you're going to need someone to produce a bit of quality to win it for you, like Hull did and like Leeds did. The two teams that have gone to Leicester and won. So, um, I think they can. They're a good side on their day, Plymouth. But we've learned this season just not to bet against Leicester, haven't we? Because they they are as inevitable as you can get in a Championship team. I think so. Um, Plymouth have, must have had a couple of good results recently because they've sort of sprung themselves away from the drop zone a little bit. I think they were hovering over it for a while. Um, Stephen Schumacher, their manager, linked with Sunderland this week as well. But I think there's a, a few bigger names maybe in the hat now as well. But um, I, I expect a Leicester win. I'd love, I'd love the Pilgrims to go out to the King Power and take all three, but I can't see it happening really. Yeah, and you said about. Um their manager Schumacher being linked with the Sunderland job. Another guy who has been is Kieran McKenna at Ipswich, doing an unbelievable job there. Uh, Tomo, bit of a Man United-style derby there with Michael Carrick versus Kieran McKenna, Middlesbrough versus Ipswich. Just a little bit on uh, that game and then be interested to hear your boys' opinion on whether you'd take the Sunderland job if you were McKenna or not. I was just I was just going to ask you, did you just say that Kieran McKenna has been linked to the Sunderland job? Yeah. Well, yeah, there's be absolutely no reason for him to take that job, to be honest. And he he could almost use that interest if it is significant interest to just get him a bumper pay deal uh, or a bigger a pay rise at Ipswich because 
he fully deserves a pay rise. He's been the manager of the EFL, I would suggest, over the last 18 months. Um, well, he definitely has been. And um, yeah, that's an interesting game, Murph. Obviously, both of those were um, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's assistants at Man United and both were widely slagged off quite often while Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was struggling. Um, obviously, both taking their first steps into management. Kieran McKenna, well, character did an unbelievable job last year, um, turning things around. Started off slowly this year, getting back on track, probably in the playoff hunt again. So, um, doing an okay job, I'd suggest, this season. And obviously, we spoke a lot about McKenna. Um, unbelievable what he's been doing, and he looks like the real deal. So, that's a really tough game to call. I think Ipswich will go there and win. Just think they're 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 like he. I think Kieran McKenna is him, and I think Ipswich are that team this year to get that second spot. Right. I, I was going to say I think um, Sunderland going for McKenna shows a complete lack of respect. It it says to me that they're viewing Ipswich as a much smaller team than them, even though they're their second in the league. And maybe that's indicative of how teams have been viewing Ipswich this season and maybe why they're getting so many good results because teams are maybe subconsciously complacent again about them. But I said the other day, Ipswich are a massive club. Just because they've been in League One, they're in the Championship now, they're second. I think they've got like the fifth highest average attendance or in the top five. They're bouncing. Why on earth would you now go to Sunderland, a club that's been... Um, in complete turmoil for most of the last 10 years. Okay, they've got promoted and got a playoff um, campaign under their belt, but Ipswich is the place to be. Like Teague just said, Kieran McKenna is him and they are them. <laughs> uh, Sunderland are three points off the playoffs and some would say, though, Loro, a bigger club than Ipswich. I completely take on board the points you just made there. I just wonder whether, although they're nearly 20 points behind Ipswich, so... Um, and there's probably a better feeling at Ipswich. I just wonder if that is concrete interest, whether McKenna would just ask if he can go and have a chat with them uh, just to to sound out that job. Also, they got a massive FA Cup game against Newcastle as well, uh, Sunderland. So I'm sure they'll be hoping that whoever the manager that they bring in is can uh, get them into a bit of form ahead of that game. Did you see who... No, 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 no. Did you see who got um, linked to the job? Um, uh, is it Will Steele? You know, the Rems manager? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think that, that'd, now, be an, that'd be an interesting yeah. one. He's like a football manager style, um, never played the game, but he loved football manager, didn't he? So that'll be interesting. You were very close to doing my pet hate there and saying, Will still, yeah, that one that got the job off football manager. No, no, no. He he did his qualifications and did some really, really good <laughs> good work in, in the clubs that he's been at. He, he described it as, when people say that, he described it as like... Um, yeah, he, he he got the job as an actor because he used to watch Coronation Street. Like, yes, he played football manager, but that had absolutely no relevance in him becoming uh, Rames manager. But he, I think he had that job unpaid for a long time. So he's probably, um, you know, after a job that can financially benefit yeah. him. Um, but yeah, uh, just I think you just said you wonder if McKenna will want to sound out that job at Sunderland. Absolutely no chance. He would be so stupid to do that. He has got Ipswich Football Club at the moment on a puppet string. They they are whistling to his tune. They are second in the league. They are twenty, nearly twenty points above Sunderland, and they are on course to go to the Premier League. There is absolutely not a chance in hell, unless he's from Sunderland and a die-hard Sunderland fan, which I don't think he is, 
that Kieran McKenna is sounding out a job at ninth place Sunderland to succeed Tony Mowbray, I'm afraid. Do you think, I know this is a completely different uh, question given the change in the difference in leagues, but do you think if a Forest or a Palace came in for McKenna that he'd, he'd leave Ipswich now? Or do you think he's thinking, I can get these boys to the Prem and I'm going to see this out? I would like to think the latter, but once you bring Premier League um, jobs into it, obviously financial um, levels are different, aren't they? And that's a completely different prospect altogether. And obviously these guys are normally very ambitious and probably find it hard to turn down the higher job. So that's different. But Sunderland, although you might be right, you know, it's probably a bit of a debate there, Ipswich or Sunderland, who's the biggest club. Maybe if Sunderland edged that, that doesn't mean it's a, there's times, there's moments in time, isn't there? And this is a really good one for Ipswich, and not one you're going to be leaving lightly. Not, not, not a chance. Can we uh, get a poll out on that at some stage, Ipswich Sunderland? Be intrigued to see uh, the the thoughts on that. But Ipswich in a much better place. Leeds, uh, seventh versus third, both teams in in relatively good form in the league. Uh, does Blackburn away look like a tricky fixture to you and one that you're worried about? Yeah, well, I did the Roy Hodgson meme this morning. You know, the one where it looks like he's watching his horse win the race and then he gets pipped on the line and his head goes down because I saw that we were playing at 12.30 um, and then I clicked on it and it didn't say Sky Sports next to it. Went back onto the fixtures and there's another championship game at 12.30 that is on telly. So Leeds on 12.30, but no sod can watch it. So that's great. Thanks for that. Fixture men and Sky Sports. Uh, Blackburn away, God knows. They win every week, don't they? And then they they only lose to Sheffield Wednesdays. And they've got the top score in the league, but they're nowhere in the league. God knows what to expect from um, Blackburn at Ewood Park. I'm trying to think of our previous visits there. They're, they must be distinctly forgettable games because I can't I haven't got one coming to mind. All I can say is, like I say every week, Leeds are very, very good. We've got four attacking players that are taking it in turns to score and create and assist all the time, and I 100% expect us to win. But this is the championship, and you talk about unexpected and Southampton to slip up at some point, maybe Leeds will as well. So, tough game, but I'm fully expecting three points, and look, we need it, don't we? So, you say you can't remember the games between Blackburn and Leeds. You can't remember the uh, the friendly in 2021 where Pascal Stroik scored a late equaliser to cancel out a Conor McBride goal then? No, don't remember that one, though. Fair enough. Um, Tomo, Sunderland versus West Brom that is the game that is on TV at half 12 obviously Tony Mowbray has gone West Brom aside uh, in, in relatively good form um, but Sunderland will probably be with their manager gone looking for a uh, a bit of a reaction from the players Yeah, I don't think they will get one to be honest, I think uh, West Brom go there and win that game they obviously they haven't decided who they want to be their next manager so and I'm not sure who they've Put in charge or into on an interim basis, but it'll just be one of the one of uh, Mowbray's coaches, won't it? So, or maybe even they promoted the the academy or reserve team manager or whatever it might be. But yeah, look, West Brom they look mightily impressive this season. Um, so I fancy them to get the win there. Perfect. And then Laurie, just one final point on the championship. Uh, Michael Duff left Swansea a similar time to Tony Mowbray going. Just a little bit on uh, if you see him getting back into football and the football league relatively quickly. Yeah, I actually think that's a poor sacking. Like Michael Duff is one of those managers that the proof is in the pudding. He's very, very good. He worked wonders at Cheltenham, which is the club that he played for, got them promoted to League One. 
last season, very, very unlucky to miss out in the playoff finals to a late Josh Windass goal that sent Wednesday up. And then this year, the problem at Swansea isn't Michael Duff. Uh, for, I remember at the start of the season, we, he, he said the hardest thing in terms of the playing style was that they'd had Russell Martin and he was having to tweak it because they were coming from such a um, extravagant way of playing. It took a bit of time. Then they had a couple of wins and now they've sort of like petered out a little bit and I think they're flowing around kind of mid to bottom half of the table. But they're Swansea. They are spending mid to bottom half of the table money. That's what it's a really difficult league. And I know that managers sometimes will work wonders in that league, but you ain't going to do it if you give a guy 19 games. So in my opinion, it's a poor sacking. I think he, the proof is in the pudding. We know he's a good manager and someone is going to have a very good appointment there. And I think he'd be a really good one for Rotherham. Similar kind of molder club to maybe a Barnsley that yo-yo between the championship and league one. I think he'd be able to go in there and utilise what they've got and make them better. So I think they were close to appointing Nathan Jones Rotherham and offered him the job. He turned it down. Michael Duff wasn't available then, but he is now. So maybe a gift for the uh, Millers. Indeed. Uh, boys, we move on to League One. Tomo, cash your mind forward to Monday night. On Monday night, but Portsmouth versus Bolton, first versus second. Colby Bishop versus Dion Charles. Uh, big, big game in League One there. Yeah, who did you say was at home quickly? Sorry, Portsmouth. I'm... Yeah, Portsmouth will win. But just because they're at home, that's basically the only... Um... The only sort of yardstick I'm I'm judging that on, but yeah, look, that's tough. That's tough to call. Um, no more insight other than Colby Bishop will definitely score. Yeah, one for all our listeners. Get on Colby Bishop to score. Uh, Lauro Peterborough versus Oxford, another big game. Fifth versus third. Um, I know that you sent something into the Pyramid Pod uh, chat that we've got on WhatsApp just about the uh, opening kind of team talk. Uh, and statement in front of the players from Des Buckingham. Convinced with him? No, that's very harsh to say I'm not convinced with him. But what I what I did, and I mentioned this in the previous pod, I sent you in a clip of um, Des Buckingham's initial team talk with his Oxford players when he first went in there, and then Matt Taylor's when he went into Bristol Rovers. And I thought the Matt Taylor one was assertive and confident and managerial-esque, as you'd expect from a boss in League One. And Des Buckingham was a little bit nervous, a little bit pally-pally, a little bit trying to crack a joke that didn't really land. And the results haven't been brilliant either so far, albeit he's only had a couple of games. So, um, yeah, I, he, I think I think he could come under pressure pretty quickly considering when he went in, they, they were second and the only way really is down unless you do a good job. So, travelling to Peterborough as well, not an easy place to go. Under the radar, they're in the playoffs. They played Stevenage last week, and who were also in the playoffs. And Steve Evans said that's the best seat, that's the best side we've seen at the Lamex all season. Um, and when you've got a side that can afford Johnson, Clark, Harris to be on the bench, they're obviously pretty good. So I wouldn't want to be going to London Road if I was Des Buckham this weekend. Although good chance for him to get three points and really, um, you know, start firing on all cylinders. So interesting game. I fancy the posh. Yeah, indeed. Um, you just touched on Stevenish there and Steve Evans. Uh, they're in fourth place, having a, a great season, only six points off top, three points off a second. They go to Burton, be looking for all three there uh, and can't, can't go pyramid pod without speaking about um, Paul Warren's derby uh, in sixth place and in the playoffs now, only three points off of Oxford and Stevenage. Uh, they go to Leighton Orient. and they'll Four be, wins uh, in a row now. Yeah, they'll be looking to make it five in a row. Uh, Let's go, Warney. 
Warney well and truly back. Um, Laurie, you spoke about Matt Taylor there joining at Bristol Rovers managerial appointment. Um, Neil Harris in at Cambridge as well. It, it what what's his career been in management? He had the Millwall job, didn't he? Neil Harris has he has he done much? Yeah. Brief stint at Cardiff, um, and then last season he was in at Gillingham. Season the two halves at Gillingham, they were pretty much bottom of the table until I think they got some investment in. And then they would have been like league winning form for the second half of the season. I think they narrowly missed out on the playoffs in the end. And then really controversially, Gillingham uh, Gillingham sacked him when they were, I think, second or third in the league this season. So obviously wasn't playing a brand of football that they were happy with. Um, I didn't even, that completely bypassed me that he'd gone in at Cambridge, but interesting appointment. Mark Bonner, who was their manager that they've recently sacked, was like a club legend at Cambridge, player, um, coach and manager. He turned down the Rotherham job last year. So I bet he's ruined that now because that's an opportunity missed for him and his stock is obviously the completely other side of the coin and he's probably looking more of a, a League Two job next. So uh, swings and roundabouts and um, sliding doors moments, isn't it, in football? So... Neil Harris gets sacked in League Two and ends up at League One. Mark Bonner turns down a championship job and gets sacked at League One. You just never know what's happening next, do you? So, interesting appointment and one that Neil Harris has to make work. Indeed. And a quiz question for you. Neil Harris joined uh, Cambridge United on the 6th of December, so he's had his job for two days. Who in the Football League, including the Prem, but don't let that put you off, has been in charge the longest of their club? And it is... John Coleman at Accrington Stanley. No, he is second, nine years and 80 days. Oh, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. In third place is Jürgen Klopp, fourth place Pep Guardiola. This guy's top. Is it the Sutton gaffer? It's not. Harrogate? Harrogate's manager, yeah. So, 14 years, 200 days. Well done, got there on the fourth attempt, Laura. Judgment on your football knowledge. You'd have got that, Tomo, wouldn't you? Yeah, he was screaming Harrogate, but he was on mute. (laughs) (laughs) Boys, quickly cover League Two. uh, Morecambe versus Stockport, 12 versus first. Uh, We've obviously waxed lyrical about Stockport uh, for most of this season. um, And they're kind of winning run and aligning with Yeovils. But Tomo, now Stockport not won in four games. Yeah, that's... I'm shocked to be honest. I am shocked to be honest. But sometimes that can happen. I think a similar thing happened to, to Yeovil. You... You go on those big winning runs and then one thing happens and you don't get that win and all of a sudden it just jolts everyone into thinking, fuck me, we're not invincible. Um, But look, I fancy them to get back on track. They were so far ahead in the league that they're still top, even though they've not won um, in those games, albeit one of them was an FA Cup game, I believe. But um, yeah, I think think they'll be fine. I think they'll they'll get back on um, winning ways this weekend, yeah. And when you talk about a team being clear at the top, I mean, they're still five points clear at the top now, but they must have been nine or something like that. The whole point of that gap or that cushion is so that you can allow for a tricky run of form, which every single club has every single season, no matter what. And correct comparison with Yeovil as well. So I wouldn't be too worried if I was a Stockport fan being five points clear at the top with a serial winner as my manager and some of the players that they've got. Hopefully they'll get back to winning ways this season because they're in my season. Yeah, and just to caveat their four losses, uh, sorry, they're not winning in four. Uh, two of them in the cup, one against Wigan in the EFL trophy, uh, one being a two-all draw with Aldershot, who I've already told you are a real problem. Um, but they'll still be looking to go through. And then one of those league results was a draw against Salford. So 
uh, not too much panic stations. They've still got 10 points from their last five league games, Stockport, and right up there in the form table. So maybe a bit of a uh, a false analysis there, uh, not winning in four. Uh, 23rd place, Forest Green take on second place, Wrexham. Laura, I know we've already spoke about the oval Wrexham game, but they went fairly strong there. Watching that game, did you think like a side that were a, a complete cut above and think that they'll be going to League One? Um. I definitely think they'll be going to League One and then I think they'll be going to the Championship after. Um, they're just like more like powerful and just like out-muscle and out-kind of intimidate teams. They just put you under pressure and force the ball into the net type thing. I didn't think they were wonderful in, a wonderful football inside, but the proof's in the pudding. They won 37 points after 20 games, second in the league in their first year back in the EFL. So, and when you couple that with the game against Forest Green, who are probably the out-of-form team in the EFL at the moment. You can only see one winner. So um, I think at the start of the season, I found it hard to see Notts County and Wrexham both going up and one of them probably wouldn't. Wrexham definitely will be because they're just too strong, powerful. And I think they just, they command a bit of respect that maybe is not really deserved because of this whole kind of Hollywood aura around them. And teams go there and lay down a little bit. I felt Yeovil did that and I expect teams do that in League Two as well. So, you know, I don't expect, I don't expect an upset in that game this weekend. And I think Wrexham will be getting promoted probably back to back. Just a quick quiz quiz question on Wrexham. Um, so we spoke a lot about Mullin this season, haven't we? And we, I think everyone everywhere probably expected him to be their top goal scorer this season. But their top Lee. goal scorer is Elliot Lee. He's on yeah. 11 goals. Lauro, don't answer this because I know... <laughs> um, I know you know it. Um, Go on. But, but who's he the son of, Murph? Rob Lee, ex-Newcastle. Oh yeah, well done. Is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but, uh, really the only league, league that Murphy's football. Yeah, it's hardly going to be Brettley, was it? The Aussie pace man. <laughs> yeah, uh, Rob Lee, famous in that Mika Richards, uh, Alan Shearer clip where they do their midfield mm. right. Yeah, good player. Rob Lee and Tim Sherwood. Yeah, <laughs> what was it against Patrick Vieira and Yaya Torre? <laughs> uh, that is uh, one of the best clips of all time. Yeah, that's it. That's it. We need to aspire to get to that level on this podcast. I'm, I'm yeah, sure. we'll get there. We'll get there, boys. Right there, yeah. Uh, couple other fixtures from League Two. So, uh, the informed side in the league, Barrow in third place. Another two teams in the playoffs both be looking for three points. And Mansfield, who are in fourth against 11th place, MK Dons. MK Dons had a great start to the season, slipped up, but they're back in form now. So, uh, might be a potential upset there at Mansfield. Lauro, we will come on to Yeovil. Uh, spoke about, obviously, your trip on Wednesday to Bath. Ground out a 1-0 uh, win. Important three points. Just a bit on Yeovil's display and team and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, we talked about Stockport's winning run ending and it you kind of get jolted into a bad run of form. Yeovil did the same. And what, what also comes with that is normally changes to the team. You kind of the manager ends up reshuffling the team a little bit because reacting to the loss that you've had or the couple of losses that you've had. Whereas I think you should be sticking with what worked for you to win the 14 games previous, in my opinion, not to tell Mark Cooper what to do because he's doing a sterling job. Anyway, we went to Bath and we started with five at the back, which I just thought was unbelievable. I think we should be going places like that and letting our getting as many of our attacking players on the pitch as possible to cause problems. It was a horrible game of football. Um, really, really poor to watch. I didn't think Bath were very good. I didn't think we were very good, but we won it 1-0. Um, and Morgan Williams sort of... When we were there, it looked like he just stuck out a leg and 
put a Charlie Cooper free kick into the goal, but he actually kind of slides and caresses it into the far corner. So a touch of quality with the delivery and the finish that won it for us. And they're the games, this is a cliche, but when you play dreadfully away from home but come out 1-0 victors against the team that I think were fifth or sixth in the league, they're the ones that win you the league. Not the ones where you're at home battering teams 4-0. When you can go to Bath on a horrible, wet Wednesday night, 1,100 Yeovil fans behind the goal, probably the best Yeovil limbs I've seen in a while on the replays. Um, it felt good. That three points felt a lot better than probably most this season because it was coming off the back of a tricky run of form. We didn't play our best, but we have extended our league at the top to six games. And then this weekend, a lot of the other teams around us aren't playing and we've got a chance to enhance that and increase that again. So a really, really good week in terms of tangible results and hopefully we can get back to winning in more stylish ways soon. And Laurie, just on Bath, you mentioned obviously Bath, for, for those that don't know, don't live in the southwest like we do, a really uh, affluent city, um, but nice ground and potentially somewhere you think someone should invest in and try and bring up into the Football League. Um, I'm not sure nice ground would be the way to put it. Um, is It was a very non-league ground. But I, when I was just there, I was thinking, how is... Bath is a lush city. I mean, we're sort of not too far away from there, but I always think of Bath as being one of the nicest places you could possibly hope to live in the UK. And their football club has never really done anything. They've always been at this kind of level. So I just I was there thinking, if someone is like a Ryan Reynolds, for instance, wants to do a Wrexham, Bath would be a brilliant place to do it because you'd attract players just for the place to live. It's and posh it's though, big, isn't it? It was obviously a city. Rugby so city. What? Yeah, it's a rugby city. They're all they're all wearing bloody jeans and brown shoes there, aren't they? <laughs> Please be careful. I, I, I'm a, I am astounded by the ignorance of that, and I apologise to everyone in the rugby community, particularly those locally at the um, Ivor Rugby Club. Those aren't short, uh, thoughts that I share whatsoever. But back to my point, if you put a big football club or an invested football club in the middle of Bath, there is room and potential to grow exponentially. So if I win the lottery... Maybe I'll do it. Yeah, again, Tomo continues to polarise people from this pod. Uh, not the views of the podcast on any rugby fans uh, and no link to blue jeans or chinos or brown shoes at all. Boys, we'll finish well, with that's a fact. Pod- that's, yeah. That is a fact. <laughs> right, OK. I'm you so doubled down on it. <laughs> so Jesus, sorry. Bro. Yeah. Joey Barton vibes doubling down on it (laughs) (laughs) boys we'll finish with a pyramid pod treble uh, as we always do looking to uh, get this off the mark Uh, Tomo I will start with you please this week and please make it a winner yeah yeah can you start with Laura oh no um, I'm going to go for Brentford against Sheffield United and for obvious reasons Nice to see this kind of time has been put in to select your... <laughs> yeah, well, um... I, I do think it's unfair. You come to me first every single week. In the winners, Tomo. I'm going to go for Exeter. Um, that's 19th against 20th in the league. Neither team has won in the last five, but Exeter are at home. And I just think home advantage might win them that game. They're quite good odds at one and a half to one. Uh, I am going to go for Stevenage. Uh, they are away at Burton, as we spoke about, but they're fourth in the table, flying under Steve Evans. They're above evens at five to four. So, again, think that they're similar to always £10 returns, £90. So, yeah, let's get this uh, treble 
off the mark and hopefully it'll be like London buses and we'll land a couple. Uh, boys, that's all we've got time for. We'll be back on Monday where we will uh, review all of the weekend action, look ahead to the midweek uh, Champions League action as well. So pleasure as always. Have a great weekend all. Cheers, boys. Hold tight. One, two, three.